Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. We're in Mark chapter 3, and that's page 835, and the title is Beelzebub and Blasphemy. This is going to be good. Beelzebub and Blasphemy, Mark 3, 22 to 30. We're finally back in the book of Mark. All right, back in the book of Mark. We're going to fly through it, I promise. <laughs> okay, so remember back when we were in Mark, we were in Mark chapters 2 and 3, and we saw the Pharisees were attacking Jesus. They were on the attack mode with Jesus. And he stops to preach a sermon. During, while they're attacking him, he stops and preaches a sermon, which we, if you do the parallel passages, it's over in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount. And we went over there and we looked at that and we see there's a lot of awesome stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. But the, what speaks to the Pharisees was he had them right between the eyes. He called them hypocrites. And it's really exposing the false religion and, uh, that goes against faith. And the Pharisees could not refute what Jesus said, so they react just like little kids do. You know, when little kids can't, they're fighting with their friends and they can't come up with a good answer, what do they do? They call the other person names, right? You know, and that's what they do. They start calling Jesus names, and that's a big mistake. Big, 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 big mistake. Because sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but names will never hurt me. But in this case, the names are going to hurt the ones calling the names. They're going to hurt the Pharisees very, very badly. Wait till you see what Jesus says about the Pharisees and their name calling. And let's just start with prayer. Father, we thank you for the awesome worship today. We thank you for the worship team that just prepared and led us into this worship time and just focusing on you and praising you and getting a little glimpse of heaven during this time of, of praise and reconnecting with you through that worship. Lord, we thank you for the way it prepared us for your word now and pray that your spirit would speak through your word. We pray for your mercy and grace to really hear and, and let it work in our hearts and change our hearts and our minds and make us more like Christ. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll pick it up here. We're in Mark chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, which we're going to do next week, but I'm going to read it anyway. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Hang on to that, because we're going to come back to that next week when we do 30 through 30, 31 to 35, and we're going to see, well, it's very interesting, Jesus and his family. So anyway, we're going to come back to the Pharisees now, though, verses 22 to 30, which we're going to focus on. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in a parable. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. <clears throat> In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. So, we see, first of all, in verse 22, they say he is possessed by Beelzebub. Verse 22, we'll read it again. 
And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So they accused Jesus of being possessed. They couldn't stand up against what he taught. They couldn't refute what he said. So they start calling him names. He said he's possessed by Beelzebub. If you study Israel's history, there was a lot of apostasy, and they, they worshipped a lot of different idols. And they, we see they often worshipped a god called, little g god, called Baal. And Baal, instead of Jehovah, they would worship Baal. Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel, the big showdown between Baal and Jehovah. We already know who won that one. And the Hebrew for, um, one of the Hebrew words that they would use for Baal was Baalzebub. And Baalzebub that was, uh, stood for, meant Prince of Baal. And that was a term they would use interchangeably for Baal. All right? Now the Jewish leaders didn't, who didn't like Baal, the Jewish religious leaders who didn't like Baal added a B to the end of the name. They added a B to the end of the name and it went from Beelzebub to Beelzebub. Right? And that meaning for that is the Lord of the Flies. Some of you may have read that book in your lit class. Right? This is where they got it from. Right? From Beelzebub. And they twisted it because they wanted to mock Baal and they added a B on the end and he's not prince of Baal, he's prince of, he's the Lord of the Flies. He's just king of the flies. They, they were mocking him. Over time, by Jesus' time, it had, the name had evolved to Beelzebub, and it had evolved to be used for Satan, interchangeably for Satan. So Beelzebub, originally Baal, now stood for Satan himself. So they are saying that Jesus is casting out demons because he's possessed by Beelzebub, or Satan himself. And it's interesting that Jesus, this is really interesting, Jesus' enemies didn't deny his supernatural power, did they? They didn't deny his miracles, they didn't even deny, many, many have never even denied his resurrection because it's a historical fact. They couldn't deny Jesus' supernatural power here, so they attacked the source of his power. And you'll see that throughout history. You'll see that throughout a lot of the different writings against Christ. They couldn't really, they can't refute his miracles, so they attacked the source. The Pharisees couldn't attack his power, so they attacked the source. In fact, there's a book called The Search for Messiah, an excellent book. It's out of print, but you might be able to get it on, uh, on, uh, online used. But he makes a good point in this, The Search for Messiah. He says, in the Babylonian Talmud, the writer records that Yeshua, that's the Hebrew name for Jesus, Yeshua was hanged on a tree for sorcery. For sorcery, that's why he was killed. This is in the, the Talmud, was that Jesus was killed for sorcery. And, and then the writer writes, say, what is interesting about this historical reference to Jesus is that the writer, a non-Christian rabbi, makes no attempt to deny that some sort of supernatural events were performed by Jesus. The supernatural events that were associated with Jesus are simply attributed to a demonic source, but not denied. Such a reference coming from a source unsympathetic to Christianity is powerful evidence that Jesus did, in fact, perform supernatural feats. And, and that's interesting, isn't it? That they can't deny that Jesus performed miracles. We can't, history can't deny that he rose from the dead. They can just attack who he was and where the source of that came from. And that's what these Pharisees are doing here. They can't deny it, so they say Jesus is possessed by Satan. But this is a crazy charge, as we're gonna, which Jesus exposes in verses 23 to 27. Jesus says, So Jesus called them and sp spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. And Jesus uses a civil war theme here to show that this is a crazy argument to make. It's interesting because President Lincoln himself used this verse. President Lincoln didn't come up with this, right? Jesus did. But President Lincoln, during the Civil War, quoted this very verse at the start of it. He says, Lincoln said, and a lot of you probably remember this speech. I'll just read a little bit of it. Lincoln said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. And then he goes on to fight against slavery, which was a super thing that he did. And President Lincoln got it. But it really came from Jesus that, that if there's a civil war, it weakens. It doesn't, it, it weakens a country or it weakens a kingdom, Satan's kingdom. It, it would be crazy for... He shows how absurd the charge is. Satan is not that dumb. He's very smart, by the way. Uh, right? he's, he's very smart. He's not that dumb. No one, Jesus says, no one lets their POWs go. If there's a war, you don't let your POWs go during the Civil War. They didn't let POWs go. The South starved them. They couldn't feed them, so they let them starve, Andersonville. The North could feed them, but they froze them to death. They froze him to death in Elmira, you know, right where right, right, right I grew up. They, they couldn't let him go because they would fight against him, so they let him freeze because they weren't used to the cold and they didn't get him out of quick cold. So both sides, instead of letting him go, they, they kept them to the bitter end. That's what they did with their slaves. Or, I'm not slaves. That's what they did with their POWs. Nobody lets POWs go. And, and Jesus says, that's, Satan's not going to let his POWs go. That would be crazy to do. No, if, if Jesus says if people are being freed from Satan's power, it's because someone is stronger than he is. Guess who that is? Jesus. He has the power to free us from Satan's power. Remember the book, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, if you saw the movie, and, and Aslan was coming back, and everything was frozen, it starts to thaw out, and it starts to thaw out the kingdom, and, 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 and then he took the stone people that were frozen solid in the stone by the witch and in Aslan in the end he, he sit, turns them back in the people again he frees them from the bondage that we're in and that's a picture of what Jesus that is a that is why C.S. Lewis wrote it by the way it was all about Jesus Aslan the lion and Satan's reign and it shows that Satan's reign of sin and death is over because Jesus is setting us free God has bound Satan the strong man has been bound. It started first of all, the binding started first of all when he threw him out of heaven, when Jesus, by the way, was in on that, bound him and cast him out of heaven when Satan rebelled against God. God and his son Jesus cast him out of heaven. In fact, in Luke 10, 17 to 18, where he says, Jesus said, the 70, Jesus sends the 72 out and they're casting out demons. They come back all excited. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He cast him out of heaven when he rebelled against him. That was the beginning of the binding. But then in verse 18, 
uh, I saw faith. Then verse 19, which I don't have up here, he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And, and we see that not only did he bind him and he cast them out of heaven, but now that Jesus is here and the demons are being cast out, it's a, it's a picture. It's a starting point that now the binding is at a whole new level, that it's not just cast them out of heaven, but now on earth, God is retaking the earth through his son, Jesus Christ. He's retaking the kingdom of the earth. And, and just as in Chronicles of Narnia, it started to thaw, and the people were, were turned from stone back into the, the animals that they were, the people that they were. It's the same picture. Je it's a whole new level. Jesus bind, is binding him on earth now here in the, in, in the book of Mark. And the exorcisms are proof. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to break the power and it was finally bound and finally broken. Not, it was a whole new level broken when Satan's power over us was broken when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. That's when he set us free on a whole new level and bound him on a whole new level. Remember Aslan the lion when he was sacrificed on that altar and when he came back alive. That's when the real victory was, what had happened. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. In Hebrews 2, 14 to 15, she talks about how with the death and resurrection, what it meant for us. He says in verse 14, since the children have flesh, and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection is what set us free. It's what broke his power. And the binding that began when Satan was cast out of heaven and then intensifies here will finally be completed in Revelation 20. Remember we studied the book of Revelation? When he's thrown into the where? The bottomless pit. That's it. That's the final binding. That's when it's really over. So Jesus shows how it's ridiculous to say that Satan is casting out demons through Jesus because he's saying that's crazy. It's showing that I have the power. I, Jesus, have that power. I am binding him. I am breaking his power. I'm setting people free. And, and then in verses 28 to 30, Jesus really rips into them when he says to the Pharisees, I tell you the truth, all sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. He says, I tell you the truth. Literally, in, in the, it literally says, amen, I say. Amen, I say is the Greek for that. In the word amen, when we finish a prayer, we're saying this is true. We agree with it. But Jesus, this is the first of the amen sayings in the gospel. There's many amen sayings. When we see Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this is the first of many. And it's the only place in all of Jewish literature that we find this amen, this amen saying. Because it's a guarantee that God has given. It's a divine guarantee of the truth which follows. This is the Son of God saying, this is true. This is divinely true. This is the divine guarantee. So whenever you see that, this is really, really important. And, he's, and then he goes on to follow and talk about the unpardonable sin. All sins are forgiven except blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of you are sitting there squirming thinking, oh, boy, I hope I haven't done that. Well, if you're worried about it, it's okay. You haven't done it. 
<laughs> if we're worried about it, you don't have to worry about it. Because this, this is, uh, if, we, if we worry about it, we haven't done it. This is when the heart is completely, permanently hardened against God. And against Jesus Christ, against the Holy Spirit. When that happens, completely, permanently hardened, that's, the, that's, that's it. This is what he's talking about. What is this sin? This sin is they were attributing the Holy Spirit's power in Jesus Christ to Satan. Really, what were they doing? They were rejecting Jesus as the Son of God, which there is no forgiveness for. It's the same today, isn't it? God will forgive any sin. Anything that we will do, he will forgive any sin except rejecting his son, Jesus Christ. That's the one sin that will never be forgiven. John 3.36. In John 3.36 it says, Whoever, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, we have eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will be under God's wrath, will be in hell for eternity. It's the unforgivable sin. When we reject, just like the Pharisees, when we reject His Son, Jesus Christ, it's done. Maybe you're here today and you're seeking for God. You're searching and you're seeking and you're carrying lots of guilt. Let me assure you, based on what Jesus said here, is God will forgive any sin. If you'll repent, now it's got to be repentance. It's not just, oh, yeah, forgive me. No, if we're really, truly repent and say, God, please forgive me. I, I, repentance means to walk one way and turn and walk the other. We say, God, I repent of that. I walk the other way. If we repent, God will forgive any sin if we truly repent. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, one of my favorite passages in, in, the, in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, it says this. Now, get this list. He says here, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we could add to that list, couldn't we? Each one of us could probably add something to that list. But look what he says. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If we will turn to God and repent of that sin and ask for forgiveness, we can be completely washed. We can be justified. The word justified means just as if I never sinned. No matter what you've done wrong in your life, past, present, future, when we turn to Christ and ask him to forgive us, it's completely washed. God doesn't even know it happened anymore. It's just as if I never sinned. He will forgive anything. And he will forgive any blasphemy that we, if we turn to God. You will need proof. Look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was Saul. Saul, who was killing Christians and hated Jesus. And yet he turned back to Jesus, and he was forgiven and renamed Paul and became the Apostle Paul. He will forgive any blasphemy, anything. I was, 
the new movie just coming out called Rapture Palooza. I don't know if you saw the advertisement for it, but I was reading about Rapture Palooza, and the basic premise of Rapture Palooza is, is, is when Jesus comes back again, he's coming down the clouds for the second coming, uh, and, and, and they shoot Jesus out of the sky. They kill him. And the end of the movie is, here's Jesus dead right next to his white horse, dead on the ground, and the earth is rejoicing because now they can finally have peace because they don't have to worry about God anymore. That's blasphemy. But you know what? As horrible as that is, God will forgive it through Jesus Christ if that person who made the movie goes watches, believes in this craziness, turns to him. I was watching this, um, this abortion battle in Texas. I don't know if you've been following the news on that. Something that wasn't very well reported was uh, at first they were trying to pass more strict abortion laws, which you know, we're very thankful. We'd love to see all abortions on our way with babies protected, right? But they... Um, they had this like mob riot thing going on, which President Obama praised as democracy in action. I have a different view of that. But, uh, but the, the end result was they finally went and passed these laws to restrict abortion, which I thought was, I'm very thankful for. Once again, we just want to protect babies, right? Every Christian should want that. And the, the thing that was going on the second time was there was a group of Christians singing Amazing Grace, and they were saying, please pass these laws. They were encouraging the politicians to pass these laws to, to restrict abortion. And uh, they were singing Amazing Grace, and a bunch of the pro-abortion people gathered around them, and they were chanting, Hail Satan, Hail Satan, Hail Satan. Do you want to know what this abortion battle is really about? It's demonic. It's demonic. Don't let anybody kid you. It's not about free, free this or free that or pro this, pro choice. It's a demonic battle to kill children, which Satan has trying, been trying to do from the start. And they were chanting, hell, Satan. Think about that. But the news didn't report that because the news was very, very few people reported that because obviously it's going to show the true colors, right? But listen. As bad as it was that they were chanting hell Satan, if those people that were chanting hell Satan will turn to Jesus, he will forgive them. Even that blasphemy will be forgiven. And some of you remember when you lived like that. We lived like that when we followed Satan. And we would have been out there chanting that, right? And we would have been just as blasphemous as that. But we were forgiven. It doesn't matter what we've done. God will forgive any sin and any blasphemy. The only sin you will never be forgiven for is rejecting his son, Jesus Christ. Completely, permanently rejecting his son, Jesus Christ. John 3.36, whoever... Can we go back to 3.36? Whoever believes... Thank you. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That's the one sin that won't be forgiven. Because Jesus Christ is God's love for us. Do you understand that? It's rejecting God's love. God loves us, and he's offering us his love. 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He loved us so much that he gave his only son. While we were chanting, hail Satan, while we were thinking about shooting Jesus out of the sky, while we were blaspheming, while we were aborting babies, while we were committing sexual sin, while we were lying and stealing and killing and... Think of the things that we could share that we've done, that we thought of doing, every one of us. That's when we were still God's enemies. Christ died for us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still God's enemies, Christ died for us. That's the love of God. That's the love that we can't refuse. That's the love that we, that, that, that we have to respond to. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever turned to Christ and received that love? Have you been fighting that? I'm going to stop. We're going to come back here to this passage in just a minute to finish up. But I want to stop and to pray here. Just Let's just take a few moments to pray. Maybe you're here today and you've carried a lot of sin and a lot of garbage in with you. Like we all have at one point. Maybe you even came in thinking God would never forgive me. I could never have a relationship with God. If there's anything that's come out of this passage. That God will forgive any sin. Any blasphemy. Except rejecting his son Jesus. Do you want to be free from your sin? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to have a brand new life in Jesus Christ, being set free from Satan's power? You don't have to live as a POW anymore. You don't have to be in bondage anymore. Right where you're sitting, a prayer to God, from your heart to God's heart, a prayer to God, give him your life. Ask him to forgive you. Say, God, I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me for every sin I've ever committed or ever will commit. I ask you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in your son, Jesus Christ. His death on the cross for me, his resurrection from the dead for me. I put my faith in him. I give my life to Jesus. If you've prayed that prayer, you don't have to fear God's wrath. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've repented of sin and put your faith in him, you don't have to fear his wrath. It's only his love that we focus on now. The love of God that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you've put your faith in Christ, you've just been set free. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card. Email me. Text me something. Tell someone you came with so that we could be excited for you and help you grow in your new faith. Coming back to this passage to finish it up. Now that you're a Christian, or maybe you came in here as a Christian, the thing that we have to focus on here is that Satan has been bound. 
Do you understand something? Satan has been bound. And as a Christian, the only power he can have over us is the power we give to him. Do you understand that? Which is a lot, isn't it? <laughs> we give him a lot, don't we? Colossians 2, 13 to 15. Powerful passage. Colossians 2, 13 to 15 says this. I lost my place here. Just a sec. It's behind me, I know. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. Now get this. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, that Jesus defeated Satan. He took away his power. The only power we, they have is what we give them. Look at verse, back up to verse 10 in Colossians 2, where he says, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. We have been given the fullness of Christ's victory. That's a fact. We can and should live free in Jesus Christ. That's the moment you put your faith in Christ. If you put your faith in Christ this morning when we prayed, you automatically were set free. You were given fullness in Christ. Are we living free or are we bound up? Are we bound in some way with some kind of a struggle, with a temptation, with a weakness, under some kind of attack? Are we bound up by a deception, by a lie? Listen, you know what a lie is? A lie is anything that goes against God's word. If there's something in your life that goes against God's word, a belief or an attitude or an action or i got to follow my feelings, even though they go against the Bible, i got to follow my feelings. Anything that goes against God's word is a lie. It's a deception from Satan, and it's meant to bind you, to keep you captive, to enslave us. That's what it's meant to do. And we have to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. We have to say, God, every time we go, say, God, I know what your word says. I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to act on it. Those are the three steps we take with the word. I, I know, first we have, we have to know what the Bible says. I know what your word says about what, I, what I've been thinking or been falling to. But I know it and I believe it and I'm going to act on the truth. That's why we have books on the shelf back there. We go with, through many people. Victory over the darkness and the bondage breaker or search for significance. That's why we do discipleship. That's why John and Marialta meet with people one-on-one. We, they, they, we call it Sunday school, to, bringing Sunday school to you. You don't want to come to Sunday school. It's a bad time. We get it. But now they're starting to go to people's houses and do one-on-one -on -one discipleship with folks. If you want to see them because it, 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 it's, it's awesome. But, but the discipleship, that's what it's about. That's what Christian counseling is about. We encourage people to go Christian counseling because we're breaking strongholds we're seeing what the bible says and, and how to break those strongholds the sexual purity group all the different groups if a stronghold gets too strong in our life it's an addiction it's an besetting sin the, the bible doesn't call it addiction it calls it besetting sins in hebrews when it's too strong we need help breaking it very very important to get the help breaking and that's one of the main ministries of our church that's what a church's main ministry should be, is helping people find freedom from Satan's power. We're here in New Hope and the occult and all the cults and all the, and many other bondages. But it's, there's many bondages, right? But that's the main point of, of, of our church, 
of any church is helping people find freedom. That's why baptisms are so powerful. The one coming up, powerful. You know what's powerful? Going in the water, it's super, it's exciting. But hearing the people's stories of how God is working in their life and how God is changing them, that's the power. That's why we're all so deeply moved by those, the stories that, that they tell. And, and, and who are we helping as a church? As individuals, who are we helping? Are we, we should be help, we, fighting for our freedom and helping other people find freedom. Who are we helping? All right, I'm going to close for prayer for real now. Okay, let's pray. How is God speaking to us? Maybe you just put your faith in Jesus Christ a few minutes ago and and now you're going to start the fight to know God's word, to know God, and to believe on it, put your faith in it, and to act on it, whatever it takes. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian, but you know the Holy Spirit's flooding our, our minds and our hearts right now with conviction, isn't he? What in our life goes against God's word? If it goes against God's word, it's a lie. It's deception, and it's only going to hurt us. No matter how good it feels for the moment, it's going to hurt us. That's why it's called sin. That's why God says, don't do it. It's a lie. What in our life is deception, is a lie? What weakness that is Satan taking advantage of? What struggle, what sin, what temptation have we just made peaceful coexistence with will we repent will we take each of these things and say God I know what your word says and I believe it even if I don't feel it all the time I believe it and I'm going to act on it and God whatever it takes I'm going to find my freedom whoever I have to talk to whatever I have to confess what, whatever it takes I want to live free in Jesus Christ. I commit to talking to a Christian friend. I commit to talking to Pastor Chuck or Kim. I commit to talking to a Christian counselor. Whatever it takes, I'm going to battle through this and live free in Jesus Christ. I'm going to help other people live free in Jesus Christ. Father, we acknowledge that we have no power to stand against Satan or to stand against his lies. We totally need the mercy and grace that we find in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I know we all, every one of us, starting with me, we struggle with sin and attacks and temptations and deception and lies. Pray that your spirit would convict us deeply. Open our eyes. And that we would act on our faith, whatever it takes to live free. I pray, Lord, that this would, that we as a church would be free and help other people find their freedom. And for those who came and defeated and, and knocked down and giving up, Lord, I pray that you would give us hope, hope today to get back up again, 
to get up every day, to keep turning to you, knowing that you are perfecting us, knowing that we're depending on your righteousness, not our own. You would give us hope, Lord. Give every one of us hope. We pray that in Jesus' name.